Welcome back to Ravens Recap. We are really excited to have on the show for the first time, and we've been wanting to talk to him for a while. I think this is a great topic. We have Vas Larikas from Baltimore Beatdown. Vas, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to uh, chopping up with you guys. Yes, absolutely. Been in a couple um, spaces together on Twitter, and we wanted to talk about the Ravens way. Kind of go backwards in time and talk about how the Ravens operated to date. And then uh, Voss is like kind of proposed 3.0 strategy. So I guess like just to start off, how have the Ravens kind of run themselves to date? So I kind of think that there's been three versions, really. Ravens 1.0, Ravens 2.0, Ravens 2.5. The first one, 1.0 was the Billick era. And Ozzie spent a lot of money on outside free agents back then. Shannon Sharp, Rod Woodson, Mike McCrary, Sam Adams, Siragusa. They won the Super Bowl with a lot of outside veteran presence, a lot of mercenaries. They kept the uh, the whole band together, and then they added Gerbach and uh, Leon Searcy and spent a bunch of money trying to get a second Super Bowl. They ended up having to purge the roster. I think they cut seven starters. But then throughout the rest of the Billick era, they were still pretty active in free agency with uh, Samari Roll, Derek Mason, Steve McNair, Trevor Price. Ozzy even tried to trade for Terrell Owens, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. Um, so the Ravens way as we know it today and as uh, people refer to wasn't always the way. Then came 2.0, which I think was kind of the beginning of the Harbaugh era. They definitely started shopping in the bargain veteran uh, category a little bit more with guys like Jim Leonard and Corey Redding and Dominique Foxworth, but they were also pretty aggressive getting uh, Anquan Bolden and Matt Burke and uh, mixed in. It was, I mean, it was mixed with Jacoby Jones was pretty cheap, uh, Pollard, uh, Corey Graham, Vontae Leach. Uh, Harbaugh made the playoffs for every year of his first five years and three years he made the conference championship game. And they had a really strong foundation of pretty much Hall of Fame defenders at every single level throughout that run. And obviously mm-hmm. Flacco was playing great. And they had a really they had a lot of playmakers on offense. Um, they were three wide receivers deep with tight ends and running backs. Um, and then kind of came the 2.5 era. And that's in my view where Harbaugh started getting a little bit more influence on personnel potentially. And really, the Anquan Bolden trade, I think, exemplifies what this roster construction strategy has been. They traded away a really good player uh, for only a few million dollars in cap space and then spread that space around on several role players. And uh, I know we're going to get into a little bit more, but I think that's where they've, they've been at this Ravens way 2.5 for nine years now, and it hasn't quite produced the results that they're looking for so it might be time to, to pivot to 3.0 yeah I, I tell you that uh anquan bolden trade still grinds my gears i mean it, it like you said it, it was a misjudgment on their part they thought that he was done and that the savings they would get with the cap space um was going to be more valuable long term than having uh, an aging wide receiver from their perspective on the team and obviously bolden went on to produce at least two more outstanding seasons for San Francisco, and then still stuck around the league for a couple more years. But I think you bring up a great point there of that being kind of a turning point. Because yeah, again, you look at after Super Bowl forty-seven, just like Super Bowl thirty-five, short happened a year earlier rather than 
after the following season, but there was a big purge of, of guys who I think the organization thought, you know, okay, they helped us get here, but that run of, I mean, basically that team was together for like five, six seasons for the most part. And said, okay, Ed Reed, Ray, well, Ray Lewis retired, but Ed Reed, Bernard Pollard, Anquan Bolden, these guys are washed up and they were great, but it's time to look to the future. And they were right on a lot of the counts, but yeah, Bolden was a big misstep. And I think you do bring up an interesting point, which we're going to unpack here in that, you know, that one decision has kind of created a little bit of a philosophical shift, some of it for the better, um, and some of it might be holding the Ravens back a bit, but yeah, I, th- I think you bring up a great point there of that being a, a pivotal moment and kind of showing, you know, a, a shift in dynamic for the franchise there. Right. So after um, the second Super Bowl in 2012, uh, Steve Bashotti expressed his desire to contend every season. They didn't want to try to run it back like they did after the first Super Bowl. They said, we need to cut some of these players. We need to move on from some of these players. We need long-term sustainability. So they that's really what Ozzy did. I mean, he went out and got Chris Canty and Daryl Smith and role kind of players, Marcus Spears and Michael Huff. Um, I think this is pretty interesting. So from 2002 to 2004 to three years uh, after the year where they had to, to do the purge, the Ravens won 26 and 22 with one division title, which is pretty solid. I mean, they rebounded really quickly from that all in push that people always say you go all in and then you're in cap jail for, you know, three years. Didn't really work out that way. Uh, The three years after the second Super Bowl, when they decided they wanted to try to stay sustainable 2013 through 15, they actually had a losing record, 23 wins, 25 losses, and also one division title. Um, So, as you said, he learned his lesson after the first Super Bowl. Uh, I'm wondering if maybe there's a lesson to be learned after their actions after the second Super Bowl. Yeah, that's a really good point. I do think that you suffer from, I guess, desire to. I know, like when you've talked to Ken about this, right? You have this desire to mm-hmm. always be competitive, always put out a really good winning product, but it doesn't seem like when these cap hits happen that these good run organizations are down too long. And I think what really started opening my eyes to this idea more so, because I'll be honest that I always kind of thought this was a little too drastic. I was pretty bought into the the way the Ravens had run things is that this year when every single blue chip money-making player went down, they still found a way to compete. Yes. And I was like, Holy crap. They have this foundation regardless of, having their best players and maybe just investing in those best players is all that matters. Like we can find all these role players late in the draft or UDFAs or the scrap heap, you know, of uh, not cap casualties, but like cuts, uh, veteran cuts from other teams, you know, things like that. But if you have these like really marquee players at key positions, you can, really succeed um yeah I, I just that's what i think what really kind of broke my mind about it is just how good the base is of this team and that's all through drafting you look at it it's like they're all homegrown players they're not getting these guys you know any other way so 
just mix that with making splash signings and really focusing on that versus, um, you know, a role player, like you're saying, that's a little bit better than maybe that person you get from the uh, draft. But like, even when they get hurt, you see how quickly the other guy is able to fill in. I, I definitely agree with that. They're, they're aiming for a high floor. That's really what pretty much all of the the uh, the catchphrases and the tenants, best player available and hoarding draft picks and prioritizing comp picks and bargain stop gaps in free agency. It's everything's predicated and everything's focused on raising the floor of the team. And I think that they're just efficient in that. They're what, probably one of the best teams. They have to be one of the best teams in finding undrafted free agents. Um, and Harbaugh coaches guys up and they have a strong locker room culture and the I think they lean into what they're already good at too hard and and their their philosophy really is depth over stars I um I, I authored an article for beatdown I guess about a month ago so over the cap the salary cap website the contract details website has a neat feature called roster texture and it categorizes all teams and all contracts into elite, good, middle, and low. And mm-hmm. they want they compare the teams across the league. And I did some math. The Ravens spent eight percent less than all of the divisional round teams from the last year on elite and high contracts. And you think eight percent? That's not that much. Well, on a two hundred dollar million, two hundred million dollar cap, that's sixteen million dollars. And on the flip side, they spent 6% more than all of the divisional round teams from last year on middle and low round contracts. That's $12 million. So, and not not only that, I've kind of had this theory for six, seven, eight years, but once I started hearing people in the national media pick up on it, especially this last year, that you hear Daniel Jeremiah, who cut his teeth in the Ravens organization, saying that depth wins in the regular season, stars win in the playoffs. And then you look at Harbaugh, he has the 27th best win percentage of all time for regular season at uh, 0.609, but they only have three division round appearances through the last nine years, even with that team they had last year. So I think if the goal is the wild card, then, then your results are going to be the wild card. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, I was just thinking of, particularly last like last year i feel like a lot of those low to mid round contracts were uh, you know of these players that we were actually kind of uh, praising in in 2019 and 2020 um you know guys like you know maybe Tavon Young or Pernell McPhee or you know some of these other guys but then in 2021 you kind of look at that and you're like oh maybe the money really wasn't worth bringing back McPhee for another year because you know the the production on the field just kind of wasn't there so it, it almost seems like you know you can you can spend a little bit on these players but on, on like kind of these like bargain you know bin sort of like players who kind of fit up that low to mid tier of contracts but the more you start to rely on that it feels like at least the Ravens kind of got bit with just you know inconsistent play you know so maybe it would behoove them to kind of not uh, kind of continue to you know 
pay the like back-to-back sort of contracts for those types of players um you know maybe it makes sense to you know do it uh, once or something and then uh, okay maybe they can go back to free agency let's pick up somebody else and we try to roll that money into and do another bigger contract or something like that it might be a, an interesting strategy of of what to do Actually, but, but going back to one other thing, boss, I, I wanted to uh, get your a little bit more clarity around what you something you said earlier, which was uh, the 2.0 versus 2.5. Um, just kind of wanted to get your take. So for, for me, uh, I, I think the Anquan Bolden trade, definitely interesting. We could talk a lot about, about whether that was a good decision or a bad decision. Um, full disclosure, you know, I, I'm kind of in agreement with you guys. I think it was a bad decision long-term. Um, but I, fr- from my perspective, I guess... At least it didn't seem like the Ravens were approaching it that differently, at least not at that period, right? Because it, it seemed like to me that the Ravens' mantra was still kind of the same of like develop the players in-house and and pay them, right? So that's why you had contracts to Dennis Pitta, to Ray Rice, and Joe Flacco, and all those guys. It was just, it seemed like we kind of hit a period of of one, that kind of the old guard of the the star players were... Uh, you know, getting older, guys like, you know, Ray Lewis retired, Ed Reed left, Haloti Nada was eventually traded. Uh, Charles Suggs did stick around. That was another guy that they did offer a contract to. He stayed, it was productive. Um, but they were, t- to me, it felt like they were trying to put money into the players that they had. It was just that those contracts didn't end up working out because of injuries and, you know, other things. But it, it seemed like to me, almost the Ravens kind of definitely started to kind of go to that pre-Super Bowl, first Super Bowl, 35, when you started offering contracts to guys like Tony Jefferson, Eric Weddle, Earl Thomas, like all basically all the safeties that we hired post, you know, 2016, basically. The Raiders threw a lot of money on those guys. I mean, more than I think anybody had been used to for like the previous 10 years. So, uh, you know, I just kind of wanted to get your take overall on like, you know, what you kind of see the 2.5 and, you know, is what I'm bringing up, does, does that kind of fit with that at all or... I think that makes a lot of sense. And some of the contracts just didn't work out when you pay Eugene Monroe and then he decides he doesn't really have his heart into football anymore. There's not a whole lot you can yeah. do about that. When you pay Dennis Pitta after his first hip injury, that's maybe a questionable decision on its on its face. At the time, Ray Rice, um, again, that was – I think people were already kind of out, of out in front, at least I was, don't pay running back second contracts. But – that's either here nor there. The difference between version two and version 2.5, in my view, the early Harbaugh years, they had the foundation. They had the core of a championship roster. They had the playmakers in the right places. They had enough difference makers. They had enough premium position talent. So then they were adding supplementary pieces. Uh, after the Super Bowl, they didn't necessarily have those core pieces. Surely had Flacco and they had Yonda and they had Nada and Suggs, but you need probably eight. Uh, I subscribe to Daniel Jeremiah's championship roster construction theory, which says that to win a Super Bowl, you need a quarterback, three above average pass blockers, three offensive playmakers, uh, two pass rushers, and three difference makers in the secondary. Um, They kind of went away from that and they didn't quite have the foundation poured, a strong foundation of the roster poured and laid and and cemented. And they just were adding, 
you know, vanity pieces, so to speak, with some of these additions and, and, and locker room uh, character guys without really having th- th- enough stars really to, to make a run. I think it might be good to pivot to where they're at at this moment and maybe how 3.0 fits with the current roster. Uh, and if we even think they're going down this path, because I think one of the things I just realized from that description is we're pretty close to having all those pieces. It seems as though the big problem right now is the three good pass defenders or uh, pass blockers. Rather, we're really missing out on that edge is a little iffy as well, given um, kind of where the roster is today. It might not be that way after the draft and free agency, but that as it is today, and maybe again, another thing we can talk about is the scheme change, but you know, they have a lot of difference makers in the secondary not all three, like you said, I think there's two um, and a potential for more. So let's really kind of go forward and see how we could build out that team and what we might have to sacrifice uh, to get there. Sure. So I do think that they're moving in the right direction and I'm, I'm optimistic that the Costa's a forward thinking general manager. Um, he has made some changes to the, the way they used to do business. You know, they, they would not have taken Odafe away a few years ago, they valued production and, and, and would pick a guy like Ferguson. And now they're going for more of that upside. And I think he's going to be a cornerstone player long-term. I also, EDC had a very uh, interesting quote at the combine when he was saying the league is changing and running the ball and stopping the run. I'm paraphrasing here is not as valuable as it used to be. So I do think he gets it overall. I think they should still try to contend every season. I'm not proposing that they take go for the Rams model and trade every first round draft pick for five years, and or go the the uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks model and get really crazy with the contracts where you're going to have to blow it up uh, to oblivion in a few years. But I think they need to reallocate the way they spend their cap money. I, I think they need to go a little bit more star heavy and a little bit less focus on the depth. Take away some of the depth players because they're already really good at finding those guys. I don't think that that's, the, that's ever really going to be a problem with the John Harbaugh coach team. I would like to see them address offensive tackle and free agency and free safety and free agency. And if you add two more pieces to the existing core of players and injured players returning, I think they're right there. Yeah, I think, you know, we're bringing up some good points here. And I think it's going to be interesting. Another thing that might be good to look at next is like, look at, you know, what the free agents classes have been for the past couple of years for the Ravens and why they haven't really been what we would want fully as fans. Um, I think some of it is due to luck. Ingram, you're bringing in a running back at that age. I, it's not a, t- a total surprise that he was really only valuable for one season um, from a production standpoint, it was still an excellent locker room presence. Earl Thomas, I would argue, is exactly the type of star signing that we were looking for, but um, was a terrible fit, and that's probably an understatement as far as you know locker room culture. There was no way that he, that the Ravens are going to be able to keep him around after what happened in August before the 2020 season. And then, I mean, you look at last year's free agency class. Sure, you got Kevin Zeitler, who um, is a very good to great offensive guard in this league, but Outside of that, they didn't really bring in too much. Um, that's just a general overview. So I guess, you know, we can look at it specifically at this year's free agency, or, or we can look at it, I guess, in a more 
broad standpoint of like what type of, of vets should the Ravens be looking for going forward to fit the star player mold um, compared to what they've brought in for the most part over the past three free agency periods. You need to go a little bit younger in free agency. And I'm mm. on record. I, I liked the Earl Thomas signing at the time. I thought that was a great move and I still think it was a great move. It didn't work out. Uh, on a personality standpoint, the second year, but I think that was the best defense they've had in a long time was that 19 defense. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I think they need to go a little bit younger and stop going with the third contract veteran that's only going to be around for a year or two and then end up costing some dead money on the cap. That's how you really build, you know, the sustainability, I think. So you go a little bit younger. But overall, I mean, really, I think what they need to just be a little bit more proactive in filling both in the draft and in free agency. And I'm, you know, probably the biggest proponent of premium positions that you will find. They need to, when, when they go through the draft and they do PPA and they wait and wait and they don't trade up and they, they value draft picks more than any team in the league, I think, you end up sometimes with like the leftovers. And the same principle kind of applies in a way to free agency where you're playing the compensatory pick game and you're waiting to see who's caught and you end up with the devalued positions a lot in the draft and in free agency. Uh, I think if they just take a little bit more proactive approach, a little bit more aggressive approach and really don't go into a season like last year with a hole at offensive tackle or the year before with a hole at wide receiver, those are really the players you need more than you need Derek Wolf and Nick Boyle and uh, and you know Chris Board and guys like that. So is Tyron Matthew too old to bring in this year? No, I I, I definitely uh, I'm in favor of Matthew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am too. I was just curious. He is definitely a little bit older than you might think. Uh, I, I was taking a look uh, based off that. Is he 29? What is he 30? 29 or 30? I think so. Yeah, he has nine years in the league. So if he came in young, then he'd be 30. Yeah, yeah wasn't well, Earl Thomas yeah, when we yes. picked him up? He was he was twenty nine, yeah. right? Yeah, twenty nine so in three hundred yeah. days. Yeah, so yeah, that that works out. Um, yeah, I think he'd be an awesome signing. Everyone's talking about that, um, and it's one of those things too where it's interesting because they could have a lot of potential there with Stevens, but by bringing a guy like uh, Matthew, you open up Stevens to do other things. He's a very versatile player, and you have more depth. Um, I think. What's also really interesting when you talked about the percentages is you find you just found the two players, right? Mm-hmm. If uh, you mo- if you just monkey around that money a little bit differently, you have the money to go grab the two players that you think you know are missing, so to speak. Um, and it, it's it's an appealing it's an appealing idea because it's kind of unfortunate that when every single player on your team gets hurt, one way or the other that you were hoping that would take you to a Super Bowl and you still managed to be, uh, you know, A and nine only have the 14th pick. Like you kind of yeah. wish you were in the top six like they were when uh, they got Stanley. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of, it's kind of disappointing that they were so darn good <laughs> despite having so many handicaps. Yeah. I think that really just shows that they have the advantages to, and I think what they do in the draft is great. So, you don't have to be more aggressive in the draft and in free agency and change your whole, you know, flip the apple cart upside down. Just pick one of the one of the six conservative things you do and say, out of these six or seven things, we're going to be aggressive in this one area. And I think a little bit could go a really long way because they're not 
obviously they're a very good team. They're a model organization. They just need a uh, version 3.0. So you also are in favor of, of figuring out offensive tackle before the draft. I think so. I, I, I was, the more I look at it, the more I think about it again, it comes back to the premium position discussion. The, Top four, top three or top four, however you feel about penning, they could all be gone by 14. And then you get into the second round, and who knows where Falele and Lucas um, – but we see it every year. We know for sure DaCosta wanted to get a tackle last year, but the value didn't match up because the other teams pushed these premium positions up the board. So I, I would say that's not job number one of this offseason is to sign a veteran offensive tackle – um, to take away that absolute need. And, I, and I'd like to get a sign a tackle and then draft a tackle at 14 if Charles Cross is there. But it doesn't, doesn't preclude you from doing that. But I think they need to solidify that first and foremost. Yeah, I think aggressiveness is, is definitely something they'll need in free agency. But another thing, and this crossed my mind as well um, while thinking about this episode, and I don't really know how you do this because this is tough, but – I think that there have been some years where the Ravens have done a very good job at being reactive in free agency. Um, and I think when we're talking about addressing the tackle situation, they're kind of being reactive to, okay, Stanley was hurt last year, didn't work with Villanueva, and the tackle position was a mess. Obviously, that needs to be fixed. But also, I think they need to look at the areas that where they need to be proactive in where, okay, it worked out last year for that position group, but... You know, what if something happens that's unforeseen? You know, the whole cornerback room goes down. You know, look, going into last season, we were like, the cornerback situation is probably the strength of this team. And then we know what happened to that. Just as an example, if you look at what the Ravens did in free agency um, prior to the 2014 season, you know, in there you knew, uh, we were talking about Dennis Pitta earlier, we knew that he had the issue with the hip injury. They made a great move there by bringing in veteran Owen Daniels, who had worked with offensive coordinator Gary Kubiak. Um, That was a very um, good move that worked when Pitta wasn't able to um, complete that season. They knew that there was that Ray Rice had his situation, and obviously he didn't play in 2014. He brought in another veteran running back, Justin Forsett, who also worked well with Gary Kubiak. And then, obviously, Torrey Smith did not work um, as the basically the only wide receiver option for that team, so they brought in Steve Smith to pair with him. Um, and you look at that offseason, and they, you know, they had holes, like we're talking about now, that were, if you think about it, 2013 and, and this past season, very similar. 500 team had some major holes that kept a solid roster from going to the playoffs. But again, you look at 2014, that's a team that could have made the Super Bowl but when Jimmy Smith went down at cornerback halfway through the season, there just wasn't enough depth at that position group to hold up. And we saw, obviously, everyone knows they blew two 14-point leads to the Patriots in a hard-fought battle in the divisional round that year. So I think that's another thing they have to look at at this free agency period. And, you know, in this 3.0 philosophy in general is not just, you know, Obviously, they got to fill the holes that are known now, but also look at the roster and say, like, okay, what are the things that could happen that are not as obvious and figure out how to bolster those position groups as well? Yeah, I think just overall, just a little bit more of a shorter term view, not quite as long term. You know, you, you needed 
uh, I, I think I made this point on Ken's pod, actually. They were looking ahead to uh, this season where Ricard was going to be a UFA, so they picked Mason. And obviously, Ricard was coming off an injury. Well, you know, there was a couple tackles there, and Stanley had two surgeries, and you could find a fullback on the street if you need to. Yep. You can't find an <laughs> offensive tackle. Yeah. Um, so some, I feel like they're too cute by half sometimes with uh, with some of this stuff, but they are close. I mean, they could serve. I, w- I personally, my draft, where I, as I'm looking at it, there's four pass rushers, four co- uh, defensive backs, and four offensive tackles, or at least three that I would be ecstatic about at 14. So, and any of those would be great, great picks. So I think they're in a position to really do a, a uh, value-based or limited or target-based BPA in the first round and just continue that. Don't just don't take the positions where you can find guys on the street that are effective, like, like Justin Forsett, as you mentioned, or, or some of these defensive tackle inside linebacker, offensive guard, where they've had so much success finding UDFAs and journeymen, that are cheap. So get those positions that you can't find when you need them and just build up this juggernaut because the AFC is, it's tough. It's going to be really tough the next several years. There's so many elite young quarterbacks. Oh, it's so frustrating. The AFC North and the AFC West are so stacked. Like the whole playoffs could come from them. It really could, but it, it can't. Yeah. Of- I, don't, I don't think Russ could save Denver, but that's not the topic of this pod. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I really think they were, I thought they were really close. I think that defense is solid and they have the, the young guys, but we'll have to talk about that some other time. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting AFC for sure. I mean, there's just so many, like you said, incredible quarterbacks. Um, I think the three of us are all starting up a, a rookie draft or a dynasty startup and it's super flex and like quarterbacks are high valued. In. You have a spot. It's all, it's I'm on full. in. Oh I'm man. Saying, you got to kick somebody out. That's my cost for being on your podcast. <laughs> man. <laughs> Where were you three out. weeks ago? <laughs> oh, I know. You didn't, you didn't yeah. let me know next for the next one. <laughs> I, we actually, uh, we, we, we were starting to start up dynasties like it's going out of style, but um, yeah, it's like <laughs> quarterbacks are so highly valued and they're all coming from the AFC right mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the first four off the board i guarantee you are going to yeah. be the afc uh and and two of them are from uh the afc north right like so it's just it's wild um looking at it and that's what the rams have to deal with now so one of the things that you said on the space is i was like i'm gonna steal this and i, mean, mm-hmm. I don't think we've had a show since so i want to talk about this and it's in the document is this whole idea of, of stopping the run and i, I want to steal your thunder what's the number one way you can stop the run Score puts points on the board. Put points on the scoreboard. Yeah, it it's it's actually kind of like once you said, it, I was like, well, duh. Like, who needs to invest in a run defense if you have a great offense? Like, you just don't. Yeah. <laughs> I looked into that last off season because I had a I had an inkling that run defense was overrated, and I looked at the Super Bowl. Just both teams that played in the Super Bowl, the winner and the loser, for the last ten years. I looked at their DVOA. And where were they, you know, of the five phases, special teams, uh, passing offense, rushing offense, passing defense, rushing defense. And run defense was by far the least important out of the five phases. It was behind special teams. So I encourage anybody to look at that. And, of course, there's game script elements and other things that go into that. But that's what you're talking about. You you put the game script in your favor and you don't need to pay – Brandon Williams for for you know the better part of a decade. 
Yeah, that money spent on another wide receiver with what we had going on there could have been uh, just as effective at stopping the run. They wouldn't even attempt it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I also like I was really concerned about the queen pick going into it. And it has been kind of damning. Like as much as I've been trying to enjoy the player and, and see his highs and lows, the fact that you have these guys like Fort and Bynes who can't find a home on other teams and being really successful in their roles kind of like screams like that was not the first round pick to take nothing against the, the person of queen. It's just like, you know, he needed to be drafted further back um, relative to the value that that position brings. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I am completely unenthused by the prospect of spending some of their precious cap space on Bobby Wagner. I don't, I think inside linebacker is the least important position or at least impactful position as far as there's between a really good player and an average player on defense. And I think the same can be said about running back on offense. They're in a way mirror image of of each other. Um, There's a bigger player pool size, you know, of those players. And you can't find a corner in the middle of the season or UDFA or a pass rusher, but inside linebacker, you can. So to me, it just doesn't make sense when you have, it's a, it's a, it's a finite pie of resources you get and you have to carve it up in a way that's the most uh, efficient. And I don't think paying inside linebacker or picking an inside linebacker makes any sense. Yeah. I, I think I agree mostly with what you're saying. I would push back a little bit on the running back though. Cause I think we saw that this past season now granted a good portion of that was also because the offensive line play but Dobbins and Edwards would have been more effective than what they had there but yes you shouldn't in free agency you should try and avoid paying for running backs try and draft them there's plenty of guys you can draft the middle linebacker position I think for this organization I I think they've they probably what's going on with the front office is that they've just had a really tough time transitioning to that understanding of what how the NFL has changed because for what was it 18 18 seasons they had (laughs) ray lewis they had yeah Yeah. that that was the heart and soul of the team that was the ravens was ray lewis you know and so when you have a, a franchise that basically for its entire existence was just like the middle linebacker is our player for it to now be the middle linebacker is basically the least important skill position on the field <laughs> you know that that's a that's a big uh, that's a big uh, mentality shift to take in you know <laughs> I yeah, mean to sure. that point that the 2019 defense is the best defense the Ravens had have had in about a decade. And that was the year where they had uh, <laughs> Kenny Young and they ended up replacing him with uh, and, uh, Peanut Owasso. And they yep. replaced those guys with guys off the street and had the best defense they've ever had because they were putting points on their board. Back to Alex's point. Um, I hear you on running backs, and I think there is a value to taking a guy on day two that can be a difference maker. But I'll also point out that even with the top three running backs all hurt and the offensive line in shambles, the Ravens still finished with, I believe, the third or the fourth best rushing offense last year. So that's really what you're talking about. It's the beta. It's the difference between a great player and an average player. At some positions, it's huge. At other positions, it's not really that much. Like I have, like I think it was like a quarter yard a carry or a half a yard a carry difference between the, the corpse of Devontae Freeman and Latavius Murray versus Dobbins and Gus. Right. That's it's so mind blowing too because like. <laughs> It was so boring to watch in comparison. And you just you felt like every time that Dobbins or Edwards touched the ball, it was better. And I think I think the biggest but, thing they lost. But to that point, 
Well, well, to that point, though, those numbers, like where would the Ravens rushing offense have been with a pocket QB? <laughs> Yeah, they don't have of, a pocket, but they don't have a pocket QB, so that's kind of the point. <laughs> well, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess what I was getting at is, I think the biggest problem with the run game last year was that it was unable to convert first downs. What the run game was really good at last, you know, the last couple seasons is that when called upon, it would get you the three yards that you needed on third down, or the two yards, or the one yard. This year, you were scared to ever run the ball, <laughs> like. At least I was, you know, and eventually they figured out like Lamar's the only ball carrier you have to worry about, which limited his effectiveness. Like by having two real running backs in the backfield, right? If we're calling Lamar a running back in that situation, it made it much more difficult for the defense than what it ended up being. So I do think this offense definitely values like there's there's good reason to have a good running back in this scheme. But like you said, you don't need I mean, shoot, man. This year, I guarantee you, an undrafted free agent will be better than any running back we had last year, which is really unfortunate because um, I think last year was a, like a very special circumstance. It was a perfect storm of problems with people not coming out, uh, like the smaller class with COVID and having all three of your top guys get hurt. I think if it happened this year, it would be a completely different story. There'd be a guy on the streets. Yeah, well, you guys obviously pay attention to the whole league and, and fantasy footballers. You know, look at San Fran, you know, they just, it's next man up and, or look at, uh, you know, even Cleveland, right? So Chubb misses a game and Dearness Johnson goes wild. Uh, it's, it's very common in a lot of teams. It was a couple years ago, um, the Rams, I uh, forget the name of their running back and they had, uh, well, they made the Super Bowl a couple years. It was Gurley. Gurley got Not hurt. Really. And then. Who who replaced him? Uh, the big Mike something or other big. He was out of shape and heavy, and he oh. carried them and was getting like two hundred yards every game. So I just think it's it's the most replaceable position. You don't want you don't need a running back this year if they're if they're looking two years ahead where J.K. and Gus are no longer viable and they're going to take a VPA running back in the third round. I think that'd be a huge mistake. That's that's where I think the Ravens go wrong is looking too far ahead and and just taking some of these devalue positions when they don't need to yeah particularly with running back where it's like the fresh legs syndrome you know two years on the bench waiting for his turn is is two years too long cj anderson yeah. that was the yes. yes 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 <laughs> he went nuts <laughs> every year man who i think that the year before that new england their top back went down and their backup came in and just it's the, it's the blockers that they make the the, I think the blocking is like 90 percent of rushing success maybe yeah I think it was a twenty was it twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen back to back leading rushers in the Super Bowl with Garrett Blunt. Nobody would ever think that. Like he's <laughs> right, never been right. in the top ten running back in the league ever. <laughs> right. But I think we're getting a little bit, you know, down the down the track. I think the, the, the main point, it seems like we all pretty much agree. Um, they're close, just you need a little bit of a a pivot and continue to evolve. You know, you can't just stay stuck stagnant stubborn forever the league is changing that's the last point i wanted to make mm-hmm. so when they went on the first half of tarball's tenure the afc was probably a little bit soft i would say um the league is now changing where you have these teams building super teams juggernauts and we have these quarterbacks mahomes allen wilson burrow herbert and lamar i mean and these teams are now going that's just in the AFC going all in and people are going to copycat the Rams 
and they're going to they're going to start trading picks. And KC and Tampa, and New Orleans, and a lot of other teams have already been leveraging the cap. It's only going to get more difficult, and it's going to be really hard for the Ravens to get over that hump and get to a conference championship game if they're playing in the playoffs with a talent deficit at the premium positions. So I will say something controversial here. At least I don't know if that's going to be controversial to the group here. But do we really th- – the narrative has been that the Rams went all in. And I think that came stemmed mainly from the fact that they gave up first-round picks for – they gave up a ton of picks for Ramsey, right? And Two. probably for Von Miller. But – Second, second and a third, I think. Second yeah, and third. third. For Von, well, yeah, yeah picks. Not, not first-round picks, but picks. Yeah. So – I personally, I don't really think, feel like what the Rams did is that much different than what the Ravens have done the past three years. I mean, they got Jalen Ramsey younger and, and is a better coverage player than Marcus Peters. Ravens got Marcus Peters out of that um, trade. You know, we can debate over which of the two is actually the better player, but Peters is, was incredible for as far as, you know, being a playmaker type of guy that the Ravens, you know, star player like we're talking about. They brought in Odell. Controversial take. I don't think at this stage in his career, Odell is that much different than Sammy Watkins. Um, Aaron Ooh, Donald. That's, and, that's controversial. Yeah. <laughs> really? Look at look at their stats. It's not that much different. It's the oh, past no, couple man. years. Odell's, yeah, I just watched Odell's a horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I, like, I like Odell I, a lot, man. I, I, Odell. I, no, I, I, like, I like Odell. I like Odell. He's just like Watkins. He came into the league with a lot of athleticism and a lot of promise, and injuries have robbed both those guys of their ceilings. That's that's my opinion. And, and Baker Mayfield. That's, that's fair. That's fair. But, that's fair. I mean, that's what, what it's worth. I'm, I don't like Odell, so I, I don't feel that bad about it. So <laughs> did, you, did you like Odell before he went to Cleveland? Yes. Uh, I loved him. His rookie, I, I had him on a dynasty his team. Year, his rookie <laughs> year after that, not really. Chris is leading the parade of, of, of F the Browns, so he's waving the flag <laughs> at the beginning of the parade. So. No, I mean, his, so, his rookie year was crazy. Yeah, but then I mean, that, and, yeah. and that's what I'm saying. And like, sure. you guys can, can try and convince me. I just don't think what the Rams did as, from what we're simply talking about what players they brought in is that much different than what the Ravens have, have been doing personally. Sure, they, they made a big trade for a quarterback, but that's because they had to. Goff wasn't going to get him back there. I mean, the Ravens, you know, if, if, the Ra- if the Ravens hadn't drafted Lamar Jackson, we could talk about, you know, how the Ravens need to make one of these blockbuster quarterback trades like the Broncos have done and the, um, and the Rams, obviously. Um, I don't know. Convince me how how what the Rams did was that much different than what the Ravens have been doing because I I personally don't see it. I'm just being honest. <laughs> They've been doing the same thing. The Rams have just been doing it twice as much. So the Rams also got Whitworth. They also got Leonard Floyd. They also paid Gurley and Golf maybe the two worst contracts in the history of the NFL um, the day they signed them and were still able to leverage the cap and picks into still going all in while they're still paying dead money for those two guys. Um, so they they did what the Ravens are doing. I mean, the DaCosta's made aggressive moves, making trades for Ngakwe and Peters and getting Calais Campbell. The Rams just did it on a much, on a just twice as, twice as much or at least, you know, significantly more as far as acquiring outside talent and, and, and big time players and stars, you know, the top of the game kind of guys. Yeah. I, I do think it was interesting. You know, they've traded away all their firsts, but they never traded away their first for a dud. So they actually just guaranteed that that first round pick turned into something. Now, granted, they're also paying them at a much higher rate than the first round pick will be making, but 
at least they're actually contract. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The first contract. And I guess like, you know, that's not the worst strategy. I do. I do have concerns about the way that they're running their organization long term. I I do have like questions about how this is going to work out in a couple of years for them. But I guess like one thing I wanted to talk about too before we kind of close out is two things. So today we found out the news that they cut Tavon, um, which I thought was uh, a big bummer, but kind of saw the writing on the wall. And then Villanueva retired, so that opened up a ton of cap space. Do we think like that cut, particularly the the Tavon cut? Do we think that's them kind of embracing the fact that? You know, slot corners are a little bit devalued. You can find those kind of players later in the draft that are pretty successful, and we don't need to be paying that kind of money for that kind of player. I mean, I definitely think it is. Um, I mean, sure, that, I mean, the injury concerns of, you know, even if Tavon were healthy for another year, it just wouldn't be worth the money that they could otherwise use it for, you know, bring in Matthew, bring in, you know, some, you know, offensive tackle or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that that's it. I mean, I... At this point, like, yeah, McPhee, not going to be back. Uh, I, I'd be really curious to see what happens with Brandon Williams this year um, as well. I I definitely think it's a sign, like, the Ravens are going to they, – they need to be doing something else with it because right now that, like, that contract at, at the – looking at it at the tail end was probably not worth it, and they need to readjust. Yeah, I, I think um, maybe we can ask uh, Brian McFarland to, uh, to take a look at this. And this is probably a, a hot one, but I don't think any player in the history of the Ravens has made uh, more money per playoff win over his tenure than Brandon Williams. Um, so, <laughs> and I don't think that's a complete coincidence. I think they paid the wrong guy the wrong amount. Uh, as far as Tavon, um, good player. Uh, I liked him. They, I believe he was he tore his ACL before his contract. Kind of like Ladarius Webb in a way, to be honest. You couldn't necessarily predict that. It wasn't like he was totally injury prone after the contract was on the injury started piling up. I saw an interesting stat from, I believe it was Luke Jones earlier today, that the Ravens allowed 30, 30th or 31st worst production against slot receivers this year. So while he was playing pretty well in the field, uh, he just wasn't worth that money with the injury risk. I personally would really, really, really like to see Brandon Stevens become the new nickel and they take that money they saved today and go get a free safety. Um, and that would be the the piece that unlocks the rest of the defense. And here's my other question. So looking into draft season, right? We're talking about I think I think for sure there'll be a player at fourteen that's that's great. That's one of those guys that you listed um as like a, a, a top value player at positions of need however i do have this question do we see teams like the chiefs or another high contender in this copycat league using future draft capital to get up in the top to go get some player do we think like this year there's gonna be a lot of movement from really good teams to get to the front of the draft because there's some really high quality you know, I mean, there always are but we think this is the year that people start also using their draft picks not just to trade for you know, a top talent um, in free agency or in a trade some way, but to be like, we're always picking at the back. Let's instead of picking the back two years, let's go and get the front for one year and doing that kind of thing. Do we see that happening? I would say yes. I think it's an arms race right now. It was already an arms race before the Rams won the Super Bowl. Pretty much every team 
the contender in the AFC has traded first round picks, except for the Ravens, the Steelers, the Bills, everybody. KC, obviously. Um, so I think yes. And it makes sense comparing that to a trade like a Ramsey, where you trade two first round picks and you get a proven player, but you also have to pay them. Um, mm-hmm. So if you have two first round picks, the chances are there's, I think, a 50% hit rate in the first round, and then it just goes down from there. So I could definitely see a team moving up and saying, we, we want to build up that core like the Rams. And it's all about the Rams. What they did with it was smart was it was premium positions. So I could see, I don't know if it's KC, but I think uh, I think it's going to be a very aggressive offseason. The Bengals have a ton of money. The Steelers, who are supposed to be in cap jail. Apparently, everyone that's in cap jail, it's like minimum security jail because they just get right out. <laughs> you know? It's very uh, – there's like a, it's like a escaping from jail all the time. Apparently, they're going to be aggressive. They're going to have a – it's going to be a huge bidding war for Ryan Jensen in the AFC North. And then it's just – I mean, who knows? But I could definitely see a lot of people – making big moves that's what the league's turning into just look at yesterday with uh with the russell wilson trade mm, yeah it was unbelievable i tell you what i hope the steelers do move up because the last big trade they had like that they got um their middle linebacker who was it devin bush right yep devin um, bush really hasn't been worth that uh trade up in my opinion so if they want to do that again i'm all for it yeah wrong <laughs> wrong position to trade up for yep yep that's the problem yeah it kind of wraps it up real nicely doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, Voss, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and, and chopping it up with us. It's been really fun to kind of talk about how the Ravens can proceed um, going forward and lean into their strengths um, to really build an all-star roster. Absolutely, guys. This was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for giving me the platform to explain this this theory that I have. Uh, we don't have all the answers, but neither does uh, some of the people that are just want to stick with the, the old ways either. So I think we're in store for a good off season. I'm really excited to see what the Casa can do. And I'm, I'm pretty cautiously optimistic that he, he's going to start modernizing this a little bit and version 3.0 is going to be a, a big success. All right. And uh, people can find you on Baltimore Beatdown anywhere else. Uh, no, I, I I am the uh, co-managing editor of Baltimore Beatdown, and I'm at Twitter at Vasilis Beatdown, V-A-S-I-L-I-S Beatdown. Awesome. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. We'll be back soon to start talking about uh, free agency, any moves that the Ravens make. Uh, in a week from now, they'll be officially able to make these moves, and the tampering period starts two days prior. So we'll definitely cover that. And then also start looking at these prospects. Had a lot of fun watching... Uh, the defensive line with Jason from Huddle Up Films uh, during the combine. There's some really interesting players there, uh, obviously linebacker too. So uh, we'll definitely be talking to him too about his big board and his prospects. So a lot of cool stuff coming up this offseason. Keep tuned in.